Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Welcome back. Yes, yes, let's give it up. You know, it brings new meaning to that verse, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You know, that that hits different when there's a time when you can't enter in. When, when, there's, when there's a sense of a barrier to that. So, so let's just give it up one more time for this uh, ability that we have um, to be here. And as, as I thought about it, and, you know, it was really a trip, especially for those of us who continue to uh, make the arrangements so that, you know, that first, you know, Sunday back in March of 2020, when we were, you know, we're like, okay, we got to still keep this going. And we came in and it was just such an eerie feeling with just empty seats, you know, and, and still having to go. And it, it caused us to really reflect and caused me to realize some of the things, there's so much that I appreciate about us being able to worship together that I probably took for granted. So I just gave you a top three list. I, I, you want to hear my top three for, for things that I really missed. Number three, and this isn't particularly spiritual, but the fashion looks that were often served at Bridge Church, right? You know what I mean? Like, I, I see the mon- monochromatic look that my brother Tim over there, you know what I mean? I see the, just, you know, we, we just got some fashionistas. And no matter where you, you know, find yourself in that spectrum, and even if you come in with the T-shirt and the jeans, it was just the looks of the smiles on the faces, the looks of just where we are. But, you know, we, got, we do have some fashionable folks in here, too. I, I miss all the looks, just seeing you. Number two... I miss the stories of God's faithfulness that we would just hear as we would be in the sanctuary together, right? It would be almost like just these weekly status reports of of what God was doing in and through our midst um, before we come in and out. I mean, that's some of the best times. I know some people just come in 10 minutes ahead, stay about 20, 30 minutes later just to get that sense of fellowship and catching up about the, the word. And, 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 you know, it says in Revelation that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And so it's so important for that. But number one on my list, the turnt services, turnt upness, the sense of enthusiasm, the sense of engagement. And let me tell you, as a communicator, it really is a whole different ballgame looking into a camera and talking to yourself, what it feels like, versus getting some amens, getting some feedback, getting some, you know, all the things that would happen that really matter in that instant feedback as well. So, so here's the deal. I know it's going to take us a little bit of time to get back into that motion. And some of y'all are like, this is interesting that you're telling me this because I never experienced any of that because you just started coming and started joining with us online. And you know what? We're glad that you're in the building too. And for those who are still, you know, maybe you're away for the weekend and, or just, you know, still kind of getting back to that, that rhythm, uh, we, 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 we're going to keep a seat for you. Um, now, I did mention uh, the weekend, and I want to say happy 4th of July weekend for those who are here. And thank you for spending, you know, your holiday uh, with us. And, and a little thing about 
this holiday that is kind of interesting for me is I was born and raised in Philadelphia, the cradle of liberty, literally where the birthplace of the nation began. And so the 4th of July was always a big deal. Um, one of my fondest memories, my grandfather would always take me to Phillies games, and they always had a fireworks night, either, you know, sometime around the 4th. And they would let the entire uh, crowd go onto the field and, like, just lay back and watch the fireworks just shooting up through the stadium. It was an amazing time and experience. But uh, as I got older, I began to really think more about the sense of, like, meanings of days. And I remember um, my first time moving out of Philly was in D.C. And uh, in D.C., I noticed that on the license plates, it had this uh, phrase underneath, taxation without representation. And I thought that was interesting. I was like, I mean, are they just kind of, what's this about? And then I found out that even to this day, that in the, like, for example, the presidential election we just had, like, there are no electoral college votes that from the District of Columbia. They don't have, like, a congressperson with election rights. So, so this was still their protest of, hey, we're still getting taxed without representation. And, of course, that takes us all the way back to the beginning of what started this whole experiment called the United States of America. There was a concern, it was frustration with the fact that England and the king of England in particular and the monarchy were basically just exploiting the resources of this colony, uh, taxing them um, and putting this heavy burden, but not giving them any say in the running of where they were. And so they began this revolution. And on July 4th, 1776, many of us know the words by heart because they're so indelibly imprinted in our hearts, in our minds, in, in our speech, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that context of liberty is, is what we identify as a nation and, and what we celebrate and what they, there's a sense of connection in these themes. My country tis of the sweet land of liberty, of the I sing. And so the fireworks, the flags waving, the, the, the pomp and the circumstance all harken back to this amazing, powerful theme about freedom, about liberty. And that's where the story also gets a little bit more complicated than that, doesn't it? Writing and speaking in 1852, some 76 years after those words were ratified, Frederick Douglass also gave a message. You could even call it a sermon because he had a text and everything. And in it, it's been known as what to the slave is the 4th of July. And it's a very penetrating and very introspective piece in which he starts off still acknowledging the significance of the founding of this nation and what the founding fathers were about. Look, listen to what he says. I'm just going to give you a couple excerpts. He says, fellow citizens, I am not wanting in respect for the fathers of this republic. The signers of the Declaration of Independence were brave men. They were great men, too. It does not often happen to a nation to, to raise at one time 
such a number of truly great men. The point from which I am compelled to view them is not certainly the most favorable, and yet I cannot contemplate their great deeds with less than admiration. They were statesmen, patriots, and heroes, and for the good they did and the principles they contended for, I will unite with you to honor their memory. Douglas mentions this and, and he acknowledges the fact that there's, there's things that are worthy to, uh, to celebrate. But he goes on to ask the question in 1852, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty and unholy license, your national greatness swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciations of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery, your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere bombast fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. <sighs> that brother could write. But these words came in 1852 and, and reflect a vision for freedom that challenged the words that are used in our American tradition. I think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the night before he would be assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee, making the statement, all we ask, America, is for you to be true to what you put on paper. Well, even in recent times, this word freedom has been wrought and fraught with complexity, with debate. And some of us can remember, even in New York, where there was such trauma and, and such just, I mean, it felt like this end of the world type situation of so much death and sickness around us. And even at the height of that, there were, wow, hundreds of thousands of people were dying. Some argued that their personal freedoms to not wear masks or socially distance or get vaccinated mattered more than public health. Their version of freedom was freedom from any restrictions, right? There was uh, this sign, you know, that I saw was just amazing. Give me liberty or give me COVID-19. Some argue. It's like, wow, that's, that's, that's an interesting perspective. And so even in 2021, there's this unsettled debate about, well, what is freedom all about? What, what, what is freedom? And so can I ask that question to us today? What is freedom? And I would submit to you that the answer to that question is a little bit more complicated and more spiritually based than you would ever imagine. Is freedom primarily about being free from laws? free from rules, free from injustice? 
Freedom is perhaps the most deeply held, resonating American value, land of the free and home of the brave. In some ways, it defines the good in both the personal and political and social life of America probably more than any other word. But rarely is it truly examined or defined. Well, I will explore today that there's at least three different types of freedoms that we have to even explore. There's an individual, a, a social freedom, and a personal freedom. And in each of these, there's, there's even two dynamics that we have to look at. One is freedom from, and the other is freedom for. Now, I'm going to try this. We, you know, we like to do this call and response thing. I haven't done this with folks with masks in the room. So let's just try this together, see if we can get some, some, some energy popping. Say freedom from. Freedom from. Oh, that sounds great. Freedom for. Now, typically, this, this idea of freedom from is what philosophers call negative freedom. It's, it's, they call it negative freedom because it's, it's a freedom that mostly identifies itself as no one telling me what to do type freedom. Not imposing your opinions, your laws, your expectations on me. Many of us can remember espousing this type of freedom very fervently in our teenage years. But parents, primarily, right? About maybe what to get pierced or what you could wear or where you could go and when you could go. It's this sense of like, there's this tension as one goes from childhood to adulthood of, of what does it mean to be able to live and not have to be constricted by someone else's expectations of you. Freedom from. And it's so interesting that nowadays on social media and things like that, anytime I see something trending about a dress code in school or some type of thing, I'm already knowing that there's going to be a huge debate because any sign of a boundary of what someone can do in their individual freedom is going to be met with a sense of resistance. And I'm not saying that that's not always justified, but it's, it's, it's a deeply held value. But freedom from doesn't fully get us to what freedom is for. And even when we think about this spiritually, you ever notice that many depictions of like God or people relationship with God or religious communities like in movies typically have a very uh, negative perspective of, of well, let me put it this way. Usually the idea behind it, the hero or heroine is trying to free themselves from God. Right. There's a sense of, uh, of, of, a, of a sense of like the, the rules or the expectations or the context of a, of a, of a, a kind of, you know, you know, stuff like some of y'all maybe like you see this with like Handmaid's Tale. Right. You know, compelling show. And yet there's a sense of this, uh, you know, dystopian, ominous idea of like religious rule. Right. Or even in like Game of Thrones or, you know, in, any of these shows like like it, usually this type of depiction of faith comes from this aspect of like. Man, there's this expectation that if I align myself to this spiritual space, that somehow I'm going to lose my freedom. And I don't know if I want to live in that space. And the solution usually in these shows is one that's completely secular, separate from any kind of spiritual expectation. And that 
really comes from the Enlightenment. I won't bore us in a philosophical uh, lecture, but there's a sense in which our entire orientation as a Western society is very much framed from the context of abuses that have occurred from the institution of the church hundreds of years ago. And that still shapes and frames our, our, our mentality. So this is an important question that we still have to wrestle with. Like, what does it mean to be even free as it relates to God and like his expectations of me? And here's the, the encouraging thing. This is something that believers have struggled with for centuries, even millennia. We're not the first to deal with, well, what does this sense of freedom require? In fact, very early in the church, this was the central debate. This was the central question. What are we free from? And what are we free for? On the one hand, there's this danger of like legalism. And on the other hand, there's this danger of lawlessness. And Galatians was one of the actual first books written in the New Testament. You know it's not written by chronological order. It's actually more organized by themes. And so Galatians, according to most scholars, is about the third piece of literature that we have in the New Testament, written before the Gospels. And this was the central issue of the church. So that's what we're going to look into with our time. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Right there, this is the culminating moment in the entire text. Well, let's give us some context. But notice that he says for freedom. He doesn't start with freedom from. He actually starts with freedom for. Now, this was a church that Paul was intimately connected with. He actually started this church in Acts chapter 13, 14. You can look at the beginnings, but about years before this moment, he began it in his first missionary journey. And now, ever since that time, he's heard, they've sent letters to him because a group of people came in after him and began to confuse them and begin to teach something different than what he was teaching. You see, he taught that a relationship with Christ and faith, faith in Christ alone was what would, would redeem someone, what would free them. And those who came after him said, no, 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 no. It's, it's Christ and the law of Moses. It's Christ, not just Christ by himself, not Christ alone, but Christ and Moses. And, and these, this group essentially were trying to tell a lot of folks who were coming from all over the world, Gentiles who were not of Jewish descent and some who were, that you needed to be circumcised, you needed to follow the laws of the dietary restrictions in addition to following Jesus in order to be saved. And Paul in chapter 3 verse 1 asks this question. You can see the emotion pouring out of him and the passion. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you into thinking? that this is the gospel. In fact, he says, this ain't it at all. That Christ plus Moses equal no gospel. Why is that? Because adding anything to what Christ did to save us is taking away all of what Christ did to save us. Let me break that down. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. 
And it is finished meant that all of the debts for the sins of the world were paid in full by his death on the cross. Amen. And so if you say that somebody has to do things in addition to believing on what Jesus has done, then you have nullified that it is finished. You've taken that all away. So if we add anything to Christ and what he did, then we're taking it all away. But the thing that's interesting, and a lot of theologians miss this, is that this had social implications as well. Because you see, the issue of wanting them to eat certain dietary laws, get circumcised, that was also an issue of who gets to be in the group and who gets to be excluded from the group. You see, they were uncomfortable with Gentiles being in the group and not having to go through their whole protocols. And what Christ, what Paul is saying is that that's the exact antithesis of the gospel, that the gospel has social implications and that it levels the playing field, that God is not playing favorites and that all who want to come to him, wherever you're from and wherever you're at, can do that. But they ain't like that. Diversity talk. Probably called it something like critical grace theory or something. They, they, they had issues with it. They didn't understand that Christ's work on the cross was complete. They didn't understand that, that what that meant was that that also meant that they were going to have to be more uncomfortable with who was sitting next to them, that they were going to have to change their paradigms of who was around them, and that the church was going to look different than the synagogue that they came out of. And here's the point for us. Here's the application point. They also had to understand that individual freedom, right? That sense of like, well, who gets to determine the rules? That it wasn't based on anybody around them. That check this out. The gospel means that in order for you to be accepted by God, you don't have to lose another pound. You don't have to get another achievement on your resume. You don't have to get another degree. That you are already accepted by God. Christ sets us free from rejection and from the standards of humanity that they would try to impugn on us. And that is good news. Isn't that good news? That means you've, you're free. You're free to be who you are, are designed to be and you don't have to be worried about confining yourself to someone else's um, structures and someone else's expectations. There's a complete freedom there. But that still is talking about freedom from but not what freedom for. And to get there, we got to jump down a little bit more after Paul continues on this polemic about circumcision and, and the dietary laws. And in first, verse 13, look at what he says. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Someone say, serve one another. Yes, sir. Look, 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 look he, he says, look, this is for freedom. This is what it's for. It's not for the flesh. We're going to get into that in a moment. But it's for to serve. And then look at the next verse. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody say love. love. This is a fascinating verse. Paul says, look. This freedom that you've been given is actually freedom to serve other people. And the reason why that's so essential to this sense of freedom is because it's directly attached to what he says is the entire law. There are 613 Mosaic laws in the entire Old Testament. 613. 
And he says, all of it can be summed up. Now, of course, some of us know he's just echoing what Jesus already had said, right? Matthew 22, when someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so he just ties that in and says, look, this is it. Love your neighbor. That is what freedom is for. The freedom to serve, not just the freedom to be served. So freedom is not being turned primarily here into some sense of self-discovery or self-actualization, which is actually pretty egotistical at its core, but rather it is being incorporated into the life of God through Christ and allows us to enjoy each other through the Spirit. That it's not about us. And here's the thing. If I get connected with what this freedom is all about, then I recognize I can only fully be who God has made me to be if I'm in right relationship with them. You know why? Because you ever get into a situation where you're confused about how to work a remote control or a new device that you get and you try to just, you're so excited, you open it out the box and you just try to start using it and then it doesn't work and then what do you have to do? You got to go to the manual and the manual is designed by the person who created it. And it's like, this is how it's supposed to work. And then you get it into the right place. And that's what God has done for us. If we want to know what to do with our freedom, then we have to go back to the one who made us and he illuminates that for us. Yes, amen. This is an example that we see throughout American history and, 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 and this aspect of what freedom is for. And anybody who talks to me for a long time or knows me for, and heard my message in a while know that I, this is a person that I completely just admire and I bring up often because I don't think that she gets enough credit for what she's done. And I think of Harriet Tubman because of the true heroism. I mean, think about this. This woman was hit with a weight that caused her to have fainting spells. She was whipped. She was enslaved for her entire life. And she somehow managed to free herself and, and against all odds by herself found her way all the way up from Maryland to Philadelphia. And upon getting there and experiencing freedom, she goes back. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five, not six times, 13 times she goes back. As the most wanted criminal in America, she goes back. Facing certain death if she gets caught, goes back. And, this, and when she was asked about this, why would you do this? This hadn't been done before. There wasn't like there was a manual. There wasn't like there was a, a, a pattern of this. This is what she said. I had crossed the line. I was free. But there was no one to welcome me in the land of freedom. I was a stranger in a strange land. My mother, my brother, my, my sisters, and friends were there, but I was free, and they should be free. She said it wasn't enough that my freedom from slavery was not the full story, but that she understood that God had given, given her freedom for others. So she goes back into danger. She goes back into discomfort. She goes back into harm's way to free others. And I love how the uh, Harriet movie, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it, how it depicts this and, and it encounters this. This is like history books, right? Like the way that when she was asked, well, how did you do this? Like everybody was looking for you. She was like, well, I would pray. And God would lead and guide me and direct me into the path of freedom. Like, that was her actual explanation for how she was able to do this. She had no training in this. 
But prayer. What's the point? Why am I bringing this up? Because see, the culture celebrates our independence, but God calls us to interdependence. <laughs> you see, it's not just about me. That, that there's a bigger story that God is telling and that we see in the life of Harriet Tubman and is that our independence is for something and that, that speaks to interdependence. And that's what this day of our reunion is all about. It's a celebration of our interdependence. We should call this Interdependence Day. Because Christ set us free to free others. And if there's anything that's been a challenge in this season, is that's not something that we've gotten used to. You know, we got to get reacclimated to thinking about those who are outside of the confines of our homes, of our apartments, of the spaces that we were essentially just doing the right thing and being safe and being distant. But that creates a pattern and a habit. And now we have to break out of that and start to retool and rewire ourselves to what freedom is for. Because for some of us, we, we kind of like being in our own little pod, in our own little space, and not having to deal with all the people outside. I live in a house full of introverts. I know that situation. <laughs> Amen. Yes. But Paul makes a different case for freedom. Not like the movies or the culture that can advertise that freedom is found primarily in your just the self-discovery of being whoever you want to be. And you notice that advertisers, you know, like they, they, they benefit from that version of freedom, right? Because when freedom is becoming an idea of self-expression, then I'm told through these market forces that somehow my ability to brand myself with certain clothing and certain makeup and certain, it becomes my sense of identity of freedom. There's people that make money on that notion of freedom. Freedom for is not as attractive, it's not as profitable as freedom from. But in a few more, but that still doesn't give us a sense of what does it look like. Paul shows that freedom for God looks and acts different. So this is the last couple of passages we're going to look at. And this is just down Galatians 5, verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Did you catch that? Did you catch what Paul said? He said that the desires of the flesh and the Spirit are opposed to one another and that the flesh, look at this, keeps you from doing the things you want to do. That sounds a lot like bondage, doesn't it? when you're not able to do the things that you want to do. This is a revolutionary concept. What he's saying is, look, you don't even follow your own rules. <laughs> like the flesh, like our natural inclination causes us to fall short of even the things that we want to do. When you get up in the morning, you want to work out, you want to eat right, you want to do the right things, and, and then it just don't happen. And then it's like Groundhog Day the next day and the next day and the next day. And it's like, and then the only thing that he says that breaks that is the spirit. But just in case we're a little confused about what that actually means, Paul makes it very clear. He's like, oh, you need a list of things. When I say the flesh, what I'm talking about, here's a, a running list. It is not complete and comprehensive. 
Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Enmity, which just means like beef with each other. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions. Division. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what's interesting? Paul wrote this list like 2,000 years ago, but it still like hits. <laughs> like it didn't get old, like inundated. Like, oh, we don't struggle with that no more. <laughs> like, wow, that was weird. What were they into back then? <laughs> that, we can't say that about this list. The flesh still wages war against us. And notice, I did say us. I'm not talking about them, whoever they are. I'm talking about us. Can we talk about us for a second and what personal freedom looks like? Because the reality is during this time apart, during this time away, that many of us fell into some of the patterns in this list. That's real. And there could be even shame with reunion. There could even be a sense of fakeness with coming back into a space and acting like nothing happened. And this message of freedom is that Christ sets us free from the flesh. He sets us free, and we're not here and designed to judge anyone about you, what you did in your worst days. We're here to build each other up to what we're supposed to be on our best days, when the Spirit is fully living in us and breathing with us. That's what freedom is for, but we can't do that if folks aren't there to do it with. <laughs> We can't do that if we're not actively engaged. The gospel means that Christ, and this is the thing that he's saying, all that, those things that we could struggle with and that used to define us, that the spirit that's imputed on you when you believe sets you free from having to do that. Where before it was a default mechanism, a default setting, where it was Groundhog Day, Christ rips that all up and says, because of what I did on the cross, now you are free. Now you have the power to say no. That's what we have access to. Now, that doesn't mean we say no all the time, but it means we have the power to. Now, note, another little sidebar. This shows us that personal freedom is as important to the process and the definition of freedom as social freedom. In other words, even if I was someone that Harriet had rescued but then I was addicted to my own vices, I would not fully experience the freedom that God had created me for. Now, I'm not saying it wouldn't be a better situation, but I'm saying it's not a complete situation. In other words, oppression and bondage doesn't just happen where it gets enforced on me, but it can also originate from within me. And we, oh, and some of you are like, I don't know about that, bro. Well, it's interesting. Let me get to show you. Let me just real quick. In John chapter 8, verse 33, this is exactly what came up. Jesus was talking about this sense of personal freedom from sin. And look at what the Pharisees say. They say, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? What are you talking about, Jesus? We ain't in bondage. We ain't got no chains. And look at what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. 
I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You're not free if you're still chained to your own inhibitions, chained to your own desires. So you see, because here's the reality. Sin turns habits into addictions and palaces into prisons. That's what sin does. You can be as rich and famous and wealthy as you want to be and still be addicted to your own sin patterns and bondage. And this is why Jesus says in verse 36 of John chapter 8, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Oh no, this is all-inclusive package, right? He's saying that the all-inclusive package is no, you get the individual freedom from people telling you what to do and defining yourself. You get the social freedom from uh, liberation from injustice and you get the personal freedom from actually being able to fall victim to your own desires. It's all-inclusive. Anybody here like all-inclusive packages? I like all-inclusive. Look, we're about to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary next week. We're about to go all-inclusively to St. Croix. Yes, that's what it's about. But here's the thing. St. Augustine puts it this way. The will is then truly free when it is not the slave of vices and sins. I love how the proverb put it. It says, a man without self-control is like a city without walls. If somebody knows that all they got to do is to push this button and they can make you just fly off the handle, you're not free. Because they just got like a puppet on a string. So be, freedom is, is being free, is liberating from all that shackles us, all the sin, the, 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 the personal challenges, the, the social context. All of it comes back to this aspect of freedom. And, and I love the fact that Paul doesn't just give us a negative example of what it's not. He also gives us what it does look like in verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can eat as much of this fruit. As, you know, it's like you notice on the food pyramid, they never tell you don't eat a lot of salad. Don't eat too much fruit. It's like you can eat all of that that you want. It's the stuff at the top of the pyramid <laughs> that you got to be careful with, right? And so this is what he's saying. Now, this is something I noticed when I was studying this. You ever notice that when you look at most of the fruit of the Spirit, you can't even demonstrate those things by yourself? You can't. Like, how can you prove to me you're loving by yourself in your own apartment, in your, like, no in human interactions? That you have patience. Most of these things are best seen and demonstrated in the context of relationship with other people. And when we struggle with impatience, guess what, God, you, you know, when we want me, like, Lord, give me patience. And then you see somebody around you that's impatient, and you're like, I didn't want this. I just wanted patience. And he's like, exactly. <laughs> so what happens to us when we experience this sense of faith is something that dramatically transforms us from the inside out in relationship to society, we can speak to this. These were the very frameworks that civil rights activists and, and those who sought for freedom used and leaned on because it's right there in the text of what freedom looks like. These are the same things that give us insight and perspective about the being the best version that we can be as an individual, as a society, even as a nation. But here's the thing. We can only fully live that out in community, not as just as individuals. 
And Christian freedom does not seek isolation, but fellowship. Over the last year and a half, we've become more used to individual freedom than ever before. And coming back into a context where that freedom must be expanded to include serving others is an adjustment. It's an adjustment to go from a context where it felt like life and death was literally at the decision to be socially distanced or not, to coming into a space where that's not no longer the case, and now I have to actively look to look for somebody else's best interest to serve. And I'm not insensitive to that transition. That's all, for all of us. That's a muscle that has atrophied over time and has to get rebuilt up. But that's our calling. It matters that you engage in Bridge Church community. It matters that you serve in Brooklyn and, and Bridge Kids or in the Connect team when we relaunch. It matters that you endure the inconveniences of making your way back physically to a sanctuary when possible. It matters for you to be who God has called you to be and for me to be who God has called me to be. And if you're visiting, wherever that means for your individual church context, local context, it matters because just like with Harriet, there's still some people who need to be found and go from bondage to freedom. It's not just about us. Christ sets us free for our good. So I want to leave you with this question as we close. How can we use our freedom to support each other? What does it look like to use our freedom, not just thinking about it for myself and what I'm free to do with my time, with my energy, with my resources, but what does it look like to not just think about freedom as freedom from rules and expectations, but freedom for serving God ultimately for his glory? What does that look like for us as a community? For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day in which we reflect and think about independence. And for all the ways that that manifests itself in all of its highlights and its glory and all of its lowlights and tragic horror in our own social context. Lord, all the ways in which our flesh wars against the spirit and prompts us not to fully live in freedom. Would you remind us this day that the spirit, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, breaking the bonds of death, hell, and the grave, that same spirit resides in us if we have placed our faith in Christ Jesus. And so therefore, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate us. Even when we messed up this morning and we looked at that list of the, of, the, of the acts of the flesh and the desires of the flesh, and we go, that was me, that was me, that was me, that God, you still say, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and that that doesn't define you, that you are defined by what Christ did on the cross. Christ has set you free. 
from the chains of bondage. Lord, would you help us to develop the muscle to see that that is not just freedom from sin, but it's also freedom for each other. Help us to embrace the fact that you said we can sum up the entire law, law in this. Love one another. Serve one another. Help us to rebuild that nature, that perspective, that, that, that vision for who we are as a people, as a church. And we will be careful to give you all the glory. Thank you for this interdependence day as we celebrate our reunion with you and with each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.